if you want to gather in. Um, first of all, I'd just like to come before the throne. Our Heavenly Father, we wouldn't want to meet here without acknowledging that it's in the name of Jesus that we're gathered together, and we want to hold him on high, that every eye, every heart might see you, see him. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, I guess there's a lot of different thoughts crowding our mind, but I want to uh, turn to Matthew 11th chapter and 28th, 29th, 30th verses. Um, when Jesus said, and these are familiar, I know, but we can read over them and many times don't really soak in to apply it to our own situation. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, I I thought maybe, Theron, do you have a picture of a yoke to put up there? Because some young folks might not really know what a yoke is. Right there's a good picture. There, there. You got, I was going to suggest, and I never got to talk to you. Thank you. You got one of both. All right, go back to the other a little bit, if you would. Anyway, that's what Jesus was talking about. They used a, a, a beam like that put it over the necks of two oxen like the other picture. And Jesus was inviting us to take his yoke. Why? Because he wanted us to realize he would walk right along with us if we would, if we would be willing. And we're living in a day and time, you know, when things are shaking. Things are shaking. We, we, we can get our mind drawn this way. I find it and I'm sure we all do, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. It's easy to talk about the, the, the government, the, va the uh, virus, and the vaccine, and all these things. And you know, the more we talk about things, the more alive it is. So we want to just temper that down and exalt the Lord and lift him up and make, make us, to help us realize, you know, what we talk about stays alive. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we talk faith and worship and praise and lift him up because when we exalt him, one of the Psalms says, magnify the Lord with me. What happens when you magnify him? When you make him big, your problems diminish. They really do. I mean, when we see him for who he really is. In this, Jesus said, you know, what he was really addressing here was um, being laboring and heavy laden under legalism, under religion. That's really what he was talking about, but it can be any kind of burden. The burdens we're carrying today as we try to decide just how do we walk through these situations. And <clears throat> he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And that, that yoke was, was constructed to fit. I mean, it was kind of molded to fit the animals it was going to be on, and Jesus can do that to each of us, a, a personal yoke. But at the same time, if you were crowding ahead or lagging behind, 
it's going to kind of chafe. So we just want to stay right with him, right beside him, and, and he is, that's his desire. But you know, he said, I am, in the New King James, he says, I am gentle. The old King James, and in the margin, it says meek. And us men, we'd probably kind of recoil just a little bit, that word meek. But I'd like to just read what the Vines Expository Dictionary says about the Greek word. And I'd like to, you know, I know this reading can... Uh, but anyway, he says, it must be clearly understood that the meekness manifested by the Lord was, is the fruit of power. I better keep my finger here. Is the fruit of power. It's not a wimp. It's not a man, man that gets just shoved around. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. That's a lie. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command, and so do we. We believers, we born again folks, we have the power of Jesus within us. Described negatively, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is equanimity of spirit. That means cool, calm, and collected. If you for some of us who understand it that way, of spirit that is neither elated nor cast down, simply because it is not occupied with self at all. We see Jesus in our walk, in our life, in our experience. And you know, the thing is, though, sometimes, he doesn't show up until kind of the last minute, so we begin to wonder. I want to go back to... Uh, 1 Kings, 17th chapter. I want to read a few verses here for just a picture. It says that, and this is about Elijah, and the, the, the kingdom of Israel, which was ten tribes, they had really departed from the Lord. Their king, Ahab, had married a, a wife who was idolatrous, and she led him into idolatry. And you know there's just so many parallels in the old scriptures that parallel our life today, our world today. And so here it is. Israel is worshiping idols. And God calls Elijah, the Tishbite, because he was from Tishbe, of the inhabitants of Gilead and said to Ahab. So this is the prophet speaking to King Ahab. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this is now what's, this is what God says to Elijah. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then... The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go. 
It's interesting that a raven was an unclean bird in God's law, and yet it's what God used to feed Elijah. It's just interesting. We don't want to build any boxes and say, well, God operates this way, but he doesn't operate this way because he is free to do as he pleases. He used these unclean birds to feed him morning and evening, bread and meat. Must have flew in. I wonder how many birds it took. <clears throat> I wonder where they come from. Probably not from McDonald's. I'm sure of that. But, but they found the bread and the meat. It was prepared somewhere because Elijah couldn't do it, I don't think. So here it was ready-made meal brought by the ravens, an unclean bird. But the next thing that's interesting, that the brook dried up. Not surprising if there's no rain. But notice this. I, th I think this is interesting. The brook dried up. Then the word of the Lord came. Now you would have thought that God would have been assuring Elijah, now you know. I realize the brook will dry up, dry up eventually, and so I'll take care of you. I got a plan. No word. No word. The brook gets smaller and smaller. Still no word. <clears throat> it's dried up. This morning there's no water, and the word of the Lord comes. And he will do the same for us. There's just no question about this. We're, we, we just must keep him front center. We must come to him. He says, come to me and take my yoke. That means we're going to walk really close. Going to walk with him. Not, and more than that, in a way, he is going to walk with us. And you know, uh, he... He says, and so there's no fear, one of the greatest, most repeated, you think the most repeated command in the world, in the word is, fear not, be not afraid. And yet, Paul, um, in uh, 2 Corinthians, one verse here in the first chapter, and I, I realize we're kind of taken out of context in a way, but he says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Later on in this same, you know, the second Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote was pretty personal, a lot about himself and how he was feeling. In the seventh chapter, fifth verse, he said... <clears throat> For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Inside were fears. This is a man that had great, God had given him great faith. He had great experiences, a lot of trials and troubles, persecution. He had fears. I guess, I guess my point... <clears throat> I know my point is that Jesus is so compassionate, so understanding. He will provide. He can meet our every need. And yet we're going to sometimes question. We're going to have, just like Elijah probably wondered, well, what about when the stream dries up? Well, <clears throat> we'll have doubts and fears too. Do not let the enemy condemn you. Well, where's your faith? You shouldn't struggle like this. You shouldn't have any doubts. If we're walking by faith, I think there will be some doubts because we're going to be challenged. <clears throat> our enemy wants to cast questions and doubts in our mind. 
but we put them down because we believe in the one, you know, <clears throat> the one who has promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. In Jeremiah 23rd chapter and 24th verse, he said, where can you go to hide from me? Do not I fill heaven and earth? His spirit is all about us. The blessing is for us to recognize that and acknowledge him. You know, it's just so interesting. The word is just so full of, of the presence of God and of us recognizing this, acknowledging it, being with him every, every, every which way more and more, and I know that the world wants to draw us away, and as we're younger, he easily can do that, but, but we just grow. We grow in learning to acknowledge him in everything, and what a blessing. And you know, that's what's going on, going on excuse me. <clears throat> I read the other day, or, or heard from a missionary in Afghanistan, and I know it sounds terrible over there, terrible things is going on, but he said the church is really growing in Afghanistan. You know, that's just how it goes. The devil wants to put us down with persecution. He wants to frighten us. It's where the, the church grows and grows when, there's, when it gets tough because then we know there's no other option. There's no other answer. How easily we want to turn to something else. We're no different than the Israelites, except now we have the Holy Spirit to keep us. If we acknowledge him, praise him, let's have a prayer and, and the worship team can come up and... Oh, Lord, we just thank you again. We are going to meet with us here, every heart. You know every heart. You know the needs. And you will meet us where we are. And you do not condemn. You do not find fault. You understand us when we question, when we doubt, when we fear. But you just ask us to don't go anywhere else. Come to me. And your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, speaking of questions, you know, we've, in our young adults group, we've been discussing uh, kind of the difference between soul and um, spirit and heart and all these different words. Um, and one of the songs today is, um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And so I just want to read Mark 12, uh, 29 and 30. Jesus answered him, the first of the commandments is, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Let us worship the Lord together this morning. Okay, I think my mic's on. There's a lot more people out here since the last time I got up here. Uh, one more thing about the battleship game. They're having it over at my farm, and it's across my runway, so don't drive on the grass. We'll have some flags there to stay on the road until you see where they're parking, then you can park there, okay? It, uh, anyway, also, uh, after, the, after the battleship time, and I don't know when that'll be, but just roughly it's 5, 6 or something, whenever, a little bit after, we're going to meet up at my house just at the top of the hill there for a time of prayer for maybe a half an hour or so if you want to. Join us in that, or you're welcome to stop there and do that. And so we'll just kind of see how the battleship goes. Anyway, well, Don, I appreciate your opening. You know, about the time we think God, we have God in this little box, why well, he does something different. 
and it shows us that he's still in charge. You know, some people are, some people process their, thought, their thoughts orally. They think out loud. And uh, I, think the, I think the Lord needs to give a little more grace and mercy to the spouses of those that do that. Um, so I'm kind of one of them guys. I told Jason I was going to give a book report on Job. I've read through the book of Job this past couple of weeks, and, uh, and I spill my frustrations out on my wife. She probably thinks I'm becoming a Pharisee or something. But uh, anyway, my thoughts come out sometimes. You know, it seems like no matter what we go through, how hard we have it, or how, say you get a big airplane or something, someone's got a bigger one. You know that? Get a new pickup, someone's got one better. And the same thing works with pain and suffering. I had some kidney stones a while back, and they're painful. They are really painful. But there's always somebody that's got something worse. You know that? About the time I go on a pity party, then I read Job. He's got something worse going. You know, it, it seems like we've been raised with the idea that, you no, know, let's be a good person. Let's just be a good person and everything will work out well. Matter of fact, the Lord will bless you if you're really good to him. Matter of fact, people come out to my orchard and say, man, God must really be blessing you. What do you say to that? I know it rains on the just and the unjust. I know that. So what do you say? You just say, God is good. He is. And uh, we get to receive the blessings, but also we get to receive a little bit more of the suffering and pain also. And so it's really not a matter of whether you're a good guy or not, whether things all work out for you or they don't. But we're kind of been raised that way. Matter of fact, the stories of the Old Testament are kind of that way. You know, you do good, the righteous are blessed, and the, and the unrighteous are cursed. Kind of seems that's the way it was always going. Psalms. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Proverbs, wisdom, do this, and this will happen. Do that, that'll happen. You know, I think Solomon, as he wrote Ecclesiastes, I think he was a think-out-loud think kind of guy. You know, he, he says, vanity, always vanity. Look at this. I make all these things, and I do all these things, and then I die, and I pass it on to someone else. Vanity, vanity, vanity. I think he was thinking out loud because at the end he had a conclusion which was really good. He says, he says uh, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. He concludes his last little paragraph with that. Before that he's whining the whole way through. Doesn't that seem that way? Anyway, I'm going to read the first chapter of uh, Job. And then I'm going to tell you what's where my thought life, thought direction kind of went after I read this first chapter. I mean, you can put it up here even on the board, but I've got to find it first. There we go. How about if I just read it off of that so I know I got the right translation? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons, he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 
500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of, fa of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also come among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the, with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they, were, they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Keep going. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold 
fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let's pray. Loving Father, I know you have purpose for writing your word. So Lord, I pray you'll give us wisdom here as we look at these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, an open thinker gets mad at God about now. God, why would you do something like this? You just said in the first verse that he was an upright man, righteous, honoring God. Matter of fact, you bragged him up in front of Satan, and then you turn around and allow him to be beaten down like that. That's not fair. That's just not fair. I don't know what you're thinking about this, but my, in my mind, it's just going, that is crazy. Do you ever read the stories in the Bible and imagine yourself in the place of the characters? I do that. Prodigal son, try to figure out who do I identify with. I think I'm the older brother, probably. Put your place in the prodigal son's place, maybe the father's place. I like to think I'm the father sometimes. Maybe the three Hebrew children, you ever think of being one of them? What did they say? Something about, you know, you can throw us in the fire if you want to, but even though God doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down to you. Are you that strong? Am I that strong? I don't know. We're getting some pretty good tests here. Peter, what would you do in a situation where they're killing the guy you were following and then they're saying, hey, aren't you a part of them? As though they're going to take you too. What, what would you do? Are you willing to stand up strong, or are you going to give in to that kind of a deal? Paul? You know, are we so driven that we were going to stand on what we think, even whether we're right or wrong? How about the Pharisees? You know, sometimes I think I match up with the Pharisees. Here the Lord comes with this new program all of a sudden and expects the Pharisees to change. Would I change? Been doing this for how many years? And all of a sudden, there's a new way here. And that goes through my mind when I'm, re I'm reading these stories. You know, where would I fit in here? Sometimes I even wonder if I was in the place of God, what would I do? How would I treat these people? I've often said if I thought I was God and every time, every time someone got sick or in trouble, why they would turn to me and worship me and I wanted them to worship me, guess where I'd keep most of the time? Good thing I'm not God. Huh? But Job and his three friends. Now, if I was Job, you know, I don't know how much time took place here when Job, when this story took place, but I would imagine it wasn't very long. The reason I think that is because when as soon as, as soon as God said, okay, Satan, free game, bang, took them all out. When one quit talking, the next one came in, it happened really sudden here. And I would imagine that the whole ordeal probably didn't last more than a couple months. I don't know. It doesn't say how long it was. But I know that his friends had to get there, and they had to talk to him for seven days, sitting there saying nothing. And then they all had their chance to hammer on him. What have I done? He asked Satan, what's the deal with that? 
Why is he giving him any room at all? Didn't he cast him out of heaven? I don't know how your mind works. I'm just thinking out loud. Casted him out of heaven, and then he, he lets him come in his presence and has to prove something to him? From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it, 1 Peter 5.8 tells you exactly what's going on here. It reads this, tell, tells the truth of the matter here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He was doing the same thing back there in Job's day. You can see his actions. He says, you're free game. Bang. He would have killed him. But God says, you can't take his life. My conclusion has some pretty good points here. I'll get to them pretty soon. Nobody knows, um, <clears throat> nobody knows who wrote this book. They, they, they kind of think Job did. They kind of think maybe uh, Moses, maybe Solomon, maybe this Elihu, the guy that gave the best wisdom there was. This thing needs to be bent. But it says, you know, Job, you know, when God finally answers Job, here comes all the people. You know, if I was one of them friends, you know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I would have came to the same conclusion. You know, I can criticize them all I want. What's the matter with them? Job's down, beaten, and they're trying to tell him, hey, you think of some kind of sin you did so you could confess it? Because we know that punishment comes from sin. That's kind of the way we think, don't we? When someone has a hard time of things, we're kind of thinking about them. I wonder what kind of sin they did. I wonder what their family life is like. Don't we, don't we jump to that? I'm afraid I would have responded like one of them guys. God did not appreciate the way they responded. They took for granted that Job had done something really bad and said in the beginning he didn't do anything bad. But, of course, they didn't get to read the story. They had to live it out. So the first guy, Eliphaz, he comes and says, Bill, Dad, Zophar. It seems like they said about the same thing. Job, just confess. They don't have nothing to confess about. Well, just do it anyway. I don't know how they, they spoke for you. Sit there and spoke for a while. One thing I have to hand it to them, they, when you come into the presence of someone that's really mourning over something, the idea is to sit with them. Don't give them answers. For the first seven days, they were right on. They were just sitting there, agonizing with him, trying to encourage him just by being there. They probably did more good in that seven days than the rest when they started opening their mouth. Because all they did is condemn him. That's all he needed. Just kick me while you're down, why not? And then Elihu was a young guy, and it sounds like he was listening to God a little more clearly, and he says, you know, God is God. Who are you to question the Almighty God? He didn't give him any answers. You know, as I, sit up, as I stand up here and talk like this, you know, you might be thinking, who are you to question the Almighty God? I'm human. That's who I am. And if you haven't questioned God, why, you're probably lying. Because sometimes I think I got God about figured out, and then he does something off the wall. And I realize, no, I'm still not God. 
God is God. You know, when, when God finally, you know, Job has a chance to reply, and Job is just, the biggest question Job has is why. That's his biggest question. You know, I can put up with this God, but just give me a reason why. You know, he can't think of me, you know, he said, well, that's pretty proud. Maybe it was because of pride. I don't think that he was getting at here because God himself said that he was an upright man. But he's trying to figure out why, and I think that's our biggest question, too, is Why? Why do we go through this stuff? Why? When God finally answered, he didn't even answer his question, why? You know, as I'm thinking about this here again, in the written word, it doesn't say that God answered his questions, but being the story is written in here, God told somebody. So maybe after the case was all handled, if Job happened to be the one that wrote this, do you think the Holy Spirit gave Job the real reason what was going on here? I don't know. Someone wrote it down. Someone heard it. I would like to think he did, but I don't know if he did or not. Because I would sure like to know why something's happened. Why, Lord? Why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to go through this country time? Can't you just be peaceful? Truths I learned from the book of Job. There is some pretty good truths in here. The biggest truth I learned from the book of Job is this. If the Lord would take his hands off of you for one moment... You'd be toast. You know that? You see what happened here? Here comes Satan and says, God, he's serving you because you're so good to him. Okay. You, you, you see how long it took Satan to go after this guy? It's like that. And he did everything God allowed him to do. He said, just don't take his life. He took him down. Can you imagine what you would be like if God says, okay, Glenn, Satan, you got Glenn. Go ahead. Just don't take his life. He'd be on you so fast. That's encouraging. You know that? The reason I can live like I live right now and I can do the things I do and I'm blessed the way I am is all because of God because if he pulled his hands back from me, we got an adversary that would destroy me so quick. You realize how protected you are? But Lord, why do I have to have a cold today? I don't know. But I'll tell you, he's for you. He's not against you. In this whole story here, I can get angry at what he did, but I'll tell you, God is God. He has a bigger, he's looking at everything in the light of eternity, and all I'm looking at is today. That's all I can see. I can only see what's nice for me today. But God's looking through eternity and realizes he's got so much more for us that this little bit here, I can't let this worry about this too much. I don't think God worries, but I can't fret over this little, little day here because eternity is so big. And I've got so much in store for my children that a little bit of pain right now, if it happened to kind of veer them towards me, if I was God, I'd do that. 
Another thing I learned through Job is I, I mentioned this already. I got to be careful how I criticize people. I can't come up with my own conclusion and understand, think I understand what's going on in their life. I don't know what's going on in their life. They might be under a lot of pressure, and they're responding this way, and I'm criticizing them. God must have his, they must be doing something wrong because it sure looks, looks like their life is messed up. Who am I to say that? I mean, God, just for no reason at all, I think no reason at all. I think he had something more in mind. If, I, if you want to let my mind think a little bit, now here he talks about his, you know, some people say Job said, what I feared the most came upon me. They think, well, that's what caused it. His kids partied all the time. Maybe it was for their benefit. I don't know. You know, because God's working, you know, he's telling the story of Job. He's pulled it down to one man, told this story of Job, and I tell you, there's a story on each one of us. There is a story on each one of our lives, and the Lord is dealing and working in each one of our lives in our own story. I wonder if someday we're going to be able to read the book of Dwight. Probably a different one than yours, Dwight. You think there's going to be a book of Dwight, and he's going to explain all out? You see what happened, you know, when you were doing this way. I was working here, and then I was working over here, and I was, I wonder. When we get to heaven, I don't think we'll care, but, you know, maybe... Bedtime story, we can read it. Bedtime? We're not going to sleep in heaven, are we? <laughs> read about Dwight. God was listening all the time. Even though he wasn't responding to Job, he was listening. He knew exactly what was going on because at the beginning he, he kind of says, hey, matter of fact, in pride, if God can be proud, he says, look at my servant Job. And so I'm sure that the Lord was watching what Satan was doing to Job. He is watching every move we make. It's kind of like a, the parents watching their little kids play out by the road, you know. You think you're not watching them? You got your eyes on them all the time. God has his eyes on us all the time. So them are the kind of things I've seen out of Job. First off, he's got us in his hands. And he is not allowing the enemy to just have free reign on us. He's not. And another thing is that he's listening to all we're doing. He knows what we're doing. He cares about us. And he's, uh, there's reason for what he does. And I don't know if we'll ever know all the details out. But there's some scriptures that came to mind while I'm reading this. There's scriptures that come to my mind. And so I wrote some of them down. And I think I'm going to have you, let's see, the first one I... I put Psalms 8-4. Sometimes it's good to see it up here. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? After you see the greatness of God and the way God expresses himself to Job, you think, why do you even have time for me at all? I am amazed and blessed that a holy God that big would even care about this little Dwight down here on this little speck of a planet on earth in the middle of a great big galaxy. I think that's why he wrote that. Why do you even mindful of me at all? Next one I have is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way, the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. I think he had Job in mind even then. Job, 
God knew Job was an upright man. He wouldn't have made that offer to Satan if he didn't know already that Job was a very strong man of faith. And he was going to hold out no matter what. I think that still stands for us. He's only going to give you as much temptation as you can bear. You can handle it. You can handle it. He'll give you the strength to handle what he asks you to go through. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Sometimes I wonder why God wrote this down, why he wrote that down. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All the scripture is there for a purpose. There's something we can learn from it. There's something we can learn from it. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. And I believe that verse gives me the inclination that God has a purpose in everything. God is looking in light of eternity. He is trying to get as many people to decide to follow him as possible. And I think sometimes pain suffering, hurt, even blessing. Whatever it takes to guide us through to find ourselves in eternity, I believe God's more interested in that. If he's not, let's just stop the earth right now. Take us, Lord. Just take us right now. Just get rid of the rest of everybody. He's not going to do that. He is a very long-suffering God. And he wants everyone to have a chance to turn and come to him. Anyway, that's what I got out of Job. After I chewed it over for a while in my mind, I came to the conclusion that I am glad that I am a child of God. And I am blessed. I'm blessed with things. I'm blessed with health. I'm blessed with kidney stones. Ah, know about that. But there's always something worse I could have. Anyway, God is good, and all the time, man, well, what I have today, it's about time to, get, to quit, let's pray, and you can be dismissed. Loving Father, I want to thank you for your goodness, thank you for your care for me, thank you that you are mindful of me. Lord, I pray you'll continue to give us wisdom, Holy Spirit, guide us, guide us in ways that would draw us close to you, Lord. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for protecting us, Lord. Thank you for having a bigger plan than I can even imagine. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. I'll see you down at the battleground. What are we playing? Battleship, aren't we?